Welcome to Tracklisting, the podcast where a musician, a comedian, and a painter review old albums for some reason. Nick. Chris. And I'm Caleb, and uh, this week we have a pick. I think Chris has a pick for us. That's correct. That's correct. I've got the 1977 classic Saturday Night Fever, everybody. Oh. should say we are recording this episode on sunday <laughs> <laughs> sunday a few weeks ago we're really uh, i should say we're, we're playing with fire uh recording these things weeks in advance with the way current events happen <laughs> just keep unfolding <laughs> terrible things keep happening and people yeah. keep getting um you know canceled so <laughs> if we if we seem deeply offensive uh insensitive about some sort of calamity uh it's because it hasn't happened yet we are recording this episode remotely on sunday june 28th it was uh stormy weather outside it was it was hailing on my uh, balcony just before we started if the uh, if the power goes out during this episode we can just blame uh, john travolta for that <laughs> For dancing too hot on those lights, oh man! This is a this is a longer soundtrack, so I think we shouldn't shouldn't be shy about playing some tracks. Oh. Yeah, we've got uh, seventeen tracks All worth coming it. in on this, yeah. and uh, a little bit of a disclaimer: I have not seen this film. Oh wow! Yeah, I, so. uh, I watched watched it for the first time uh, last night. I think same same, and um, uh, shout out to my mom uh kim darden who recommended we do the soundtrack and i saw the movie and i was like mother oh my goodness and i was like i i totally thought it was this cheesy movie uh but we'll get into it we'll get into it i have a lot to say all right coming up first this is the Bee Gees with staying alive It's a classic song. Classic song. Classic strut. Uh, John Travolta walking down the street in his disco-y sort of outfit with a paint can. Like, why has he got that paint can? He's so cool. What's he doing with paint? (laughs) Funny. We'll we'll get into it a lot uh, later, but this is a movie where for the first half I was like, this movie is so much better than I thought it was going to be. This is a great movie. I love this movie. And then the second half, I'm like, holy shit. Like, what? <laughs> it it uh, takes a very dark turn. Uh, it takes, takes like several dark turns. But this, uh, this beginning is like an iconic scene of him like strutting around while the music's playing. I read that, I guess I'd always known this, but I didn't, I've, I've never seen the sequel, but there was a sequel made a few years later by uh, Sylvester Stallone, I think wrote and directed it. And Frank Stallone did a bunch of the music. This movie is held in pretty high regard. The sequel, I think, has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the scene at the beginning where they play a lot of Staying Alive and he's just going through his, his neighborhood in Bay Ridge, kind of like checking out women and looking at himself in the mirror and stuff. And uh, 
in the sequel at the like there's this whole narrative arc and at the end after he like does a great dance performance he literally has a conversation where he says supposedly i haven't seen the movie but he says uh i feel so good i just i just gotta strut i just gotta go strut and so he (laughs) goes outside and starts walking to the song so it ends the way that this movie begins but he's so He's, he knows about the earlier movie, so he knows that it's strut. <laughs> he's like, oh, you know how I got to do, when I got to, I got to, like, I got to celebrate, I got to go strut. <laughs> yeah, his full, full narrative arc where he just ends up back where he was at the beginning of the first movie. Interesting, interesting. We should say that the, uh, the Bee Gees did have a uh, music career before this, but this, uh, their music in Saturday Night Fever certainly catapulted them into the stratosphere and probably helped popularize disco music on like a whole nother level for like a decade. Mm-hmm. And sort of it, this sort of eclipsed the, the rest of their career. And they've had like the Bee Gees have some awesome songs before and after this um, and some individual uh, ones because they all broke up for like 15 months. But yeah, I was <laughs> I went into a little bit of a, you know, I'm just going to put on like a, a Bee Gees playlist on random and just kind of like soak it up. And I like some early Bee Gees songs, but I'm going to say in the mix uh these this era of bgs these like three years are definitely in my mind like way better than the rest of their career that's fair that's fair uh, we've got a uh, quite a bit of uh bgs on yeah, the yeah. soundtrack yeah. uh shall we jump into the next track i'd love Do to it. this is the bgs with how deep is your love know your eyes in the morning sun I feel you touch me in the pouring rain And the moment that you wander far from me I want to feel you in my arms again And you come to me on a summer breeze Keep me warm in your love Then you softly leave And it's me you need to A ballad, yeah. I mean, this is this could have been like uh, an early BG song. Like the instrumentation has like that kind of late seventies disco vibe, but this is kind of like a, a throwback to what their songwriting kind of ballads are. Mm-hmm. A great song, I gotta say, it's a great song. Uh, you kind of hear the song throughout the movie a couple of times, uh, but uh, mainly towards the end. Uh, it sort of fades out with this song, but you, you hear it on Tony, uh, John Travolta's character's introspective subway ride where uh, I guess he changes. We'll, we'll talk. <laughs> well, that's okay. So uh, the Bee Gees did or contributed a lot of the music. Some of it had been uh, written earlier um, after I think the without seeing the movie or maybe after the movie was made. So I think for the first half of the movie, first of all, there's like music playing nonstop. Like a lot of the scenes like in the club is great. It's just like jam after jam. But in the second half where I guess it's a 70s movie, I think in the 70s, it it might be described as uh, being gritty. But I think in today's terms, like uh, deeply troubling, I think is a lot of the the events and actions of the second half. And uh, the soundtrack doesn't shift with the movie. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. yeah. So when he's like moping, like riding the train around all night, it's uh, after he like uh, tries to rape somebody and his friend commits suicide. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
and he was in the car during a, a second rape. Uh, yeah. And uh, so <laughs> this song is like a great song, but it also kind of sounds like uh, it's not too dissimilar from like a theme song to a sitcom in the 1970s, like like Taxi or something. Yeah. Yeah. So like this era of the Bee Gees music was like pre-existing that they used for the film, but they also were brought on board to uh, make some music for the film. Is well, that correct? I think that um, a couple tracks on here, I'd have to go, I don't know which ones. Uh, specifically had come out on a record that had come out like the year before but most of the music i think this was the original release but i don't think they wrote it knowing what the like exactly happened in the movie we'll talk about it later i have good news for you guys uh track three is also by the Bee Gees. Ah. this is night fever This is so this song existed or they they were like uh they'd already written most of it by the time the movie people got a hold of it and they're like maybe you should call it saturday night or there was something they're always trying to get like saturday night into all these song titles and the bgs i think they kind of ignored most of it and so the movie basically gets its name from this song but they had to expand on a little bit this movie was based on i should say it was a, a New York Magazine article named The Tribal Rights of the New Saturday Night. Which was the original title, or the working title for the film. Yeah, it ah. was a, a British writer. He wrote like a long-form piece about the Brooklyn disco culture. And he admitted like uh, maybe 10 or 15 years later that it was all, it was all invented. <laughs> <laughs> and so he went out to uh, Bay Ridge. We should say Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. It's a... Uh, <laughs> I think it's only about eight miles from where we are right now, but yeah, uh, it's, it's out there, man. <laughs> yeah, it's down. It's down by where Nick and I adopted our cats. We adopted a couple of Bensonhurst kitties. <laughs> it's a ways out there, but it's also you know it's not you know it's kind of in between uh, Manhattan and Staten Island. Yeah. But um, so apparently Nick Cohn, this British guy, he got the assignment and he went out to this disco, which I think is the disco in the movie is called Two Thousand One. Yeah, and I Odyssey. think the. Yeah, I think that's the name of the actual club. Mm-hmm. So he goes out there and uh, the story, like I think one of the problems that I had with uh, the movie is like when you saw the disco, it's like it seemed a little too happy for uh, for like a deep Brooklyn like dance club. And so apparently he got there and like he said like somebody was kicking the shit out of somebody else in the parking lot and somebody puked on his pants and he just like skedaddled out. <laughs> And, just, and he, he just based the story on some people he knew back in London. And ah, oh, what Fair a wimp! <laughs> I mean, I smart man. You know, <laughs> you don't want to get stabbed in a Bay Ridge discotheque. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. If, if, uh, if you're not there to dance, what are you doing? Are you were you writing in your journal? Come on, hey! <laughs> and then you're, I would you're just dead. love to be the guy to be somebody interviewing this writer in the ninth, early 90s about his like most famous thing and just like so like tell me about about the tribal rights of the new saturday night like how did that happen he's like 
Oh, that, I mean, you know, I made that whole thing up. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I didn't want to go in there. I just kind of, I don't know. So make them ups. What do you want? In my mind, yeah, I thought that like the soundtrack and that Saturday Night Fever kind of caused this uh, disco subculture to explode. Mm-hmm. But apparently in reality, it was like already fading by 1977, which makes sense when you think of all the great disco records. But then like supposedly like the early disco records were like in 1974. So like this whole huge like disco culture in the mainstream only lasted like a few years. And then it turned into like disco sucks. And then this supposedly like this movie gave it like a few extra years. But uh, like a lot of the great disco, the like the the Italo disco that we enjoy is like early 80s. 80s, But that stuff like didn't get any play over here. We do have the Bee Gees again on track four. This is more than a woman. So like one of one of the things that I kind of initially found charming about this movie and then became like more and more confused by as it became more of like a dominant theme is that uh so the the disco that they all go to and it's like the disco he's the like the local king of is this Bay Ridge uh institution and it's it becomes clear that kind of the notion of this movie is all these people who are stuck in Bay Ridge and will like can never get out and there's a few, there's this kind of this weird thing where whenever, when people talk about Manhattan, it's kind of like in hushed tones, like, like they just, they feel like they don't know how to get there or something. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, I grew up in like a small logging town on the other end of the country. And these people talk about Manhattan the way that I probably would have talked about Manhattan there. <laughs> It's like there's literally a train. Yeah, you, you pay uh, what in the seventies was probably a yeah. dime. You can probably put a dime down, and you just sit in there, and you just pop above, and then you're in Manhattan. What are you? <laughs> the uh, the Bee Gees are known as being the kings of walking off of TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys seen this clip before? This is from Clive Anderson's All Talk that was on BBC, and uh, this is from 1997. Uh, Clive Anderson is uh, just making these jokes and he just, they all keep falling flat. He's like, uh, your career has had some uh, highs and lows, mostly highs in your case. And <laughs> they're like, oh, okay. And uh, it's like a 10 minute interview. I'm kind of uh, paraphrasing, but towards the end, Clive Anderson basically says, you had some good songs uh, before Saturday Night Fever that were more ballad oriented. Then you had a hit song that was not associated with a movie, so good for you. And uh, one of the Gibb brothers chimes in, and he's like, uh, we actually had two hits at the time. And Clive Anderson says, well, I, I forgot that one. Well, uh, <laughs> And then he's like, well, we're, uh, we're, we're getting on like a storm, aren't we, Clive? So uh, I might just leave. 
And uh, so they kind of get up one by one. And then there's like the last Gib brother that's just sitting there in the chair. And Clive is like, hey, you can uh, you can stay in chat. And he's like, well, I would, but uh, I don't do impressions. <laughs> and then it's just tepid applause from the audience. It, dude, okay, I've watched that interview maybe 10 times. And I think what happens, Clive Anderson, so there's the the point that it shifts is uh, he was like, well, you'll, you, you used to be uh, Latosis. Uh, or he was like, yeah, we all used to be Latosis. And then uh, Clive Anderson goes, oh, well, you'll always be Latosis to me. And I think he... I think he genuinely meant like I loved it when you guys were late tossers, but you know, tosser is like a British like, you know, like uh fucker slang like, like for a wanker or something like that. And uh you see Barry Gibbs like face completely change after that. And then and you see him just clam up and then there's a few more like little jabs that are pretty in tune with the way Clive Anderson interviews people. Some of you may know him from the um Whose Lines It Anyway show. But uh, he, um, he like says a few more things, and w- yeah, one of the hits is like, uh, well, we have um, you know, the hit, uh, don't forget this, and he's like, oh, I've forgotten that one, <laughs> or like never, ne- like uh, always remember, and he's like, I've forgotten it, and I think he meant like a play on the words, like always remember, and then he was like, oh, well, maybe I should just uh, leave the show, <laughs> and he like storms off, and he thinks they're joking, and then like you can see like he's so confused on his own face why they left, but. He takes a jab at the, he's like Saturday Night Fever, you know, Saturday Night Fever came out in the 70s, the uh, the decade that fashion forgot. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, and he's like the most he's like, 70s well, fashion. He's people. like, uh, I think we're in the decade that fashion forgot right now, like in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, like, <laughs> oh, man, it's, it's a hilarious so clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bee Gees, uh, it's interesting because I've seen like a lot of um, like them kind of hemming and hawing about being pigeonholed as a disco band mm-hmm. i think because the funny thing is they had so they're a british band but they got started when they grew up in australia and mm-hmm. i think that's when they had like the other name and then they started to get a little bit of hit and then they just like moved to england and rebranded so i think they're constantly kind of like trying to to like run away from the past of who they were or whatever and then uh yeah, once the disco thing happened, and then I think they were suddenly being treated like a one-hit wonder again, even though for you know they were like the biggest band in the world for probably five years or something. Yeah, um, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, go take go take a bath with all your money. I don't know. <laughs> this not the last time we will hear from the Bee Gees on this soundtrack. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> we are going to switch it up on track five. Yvonne Elliman, if I can't have you. So young are a waste of time If I turn away Am I strong enough to see it through? How crazy is what I will do If I can't have you I don't want nobody, baby If I can't have you uh-huh. oh. If I can't have you Yeah, so this is, I should say, a Bee Gees song being covered by Yvonne Newman. She's a like a Broadway actress, like in musicals. I think that was kind of a pretty common thing in the disco era to, you know, these very like professional vocal like actors. They would bring them in to do like a, a vocal on some like highly produced disco track. I think that my theory on this is that they, you know, they had all these Bee Gees songs and they're like, this has to feel like a real world 
And if every song has the same people singing on it, it's going to start to feel a little creepy. Yeah. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. this is a very kind of, uh, you know, I would say a very kind of stereotypically disco cover of a, you know, I think the Bee Gees version's like uh, a lot better eh, or a good amount better than this. Uh, this is playing in the disco tech uh, 2001 uh, in the side room where there's just a stripper. There's just a woman who dances with no clothes on. There's like a sidebar of the discotheque, and you're like, wait, what is this place? (laughs) What's going on here? And everyone's like, it's a good time to mention that there were, uh, this movie was such a hit that they quickly recut a PG version, Mm -hmm. added some scenes in, and re released it. Was that for um, television broadcast purposes? Oh, yes. this, was, this was. No, these were in the years. Oh, I got a yes and a no at the same time. Uh, we're working I'll, with different I'll, facts. I'll lay it all out. <laughs> these were in the years where if a, if a movie in 1977 was like a hit, it would be in the theaters for like months and months. And I believe that they recut it and re released it like the next year to like. Because it was, I think the soundtrack had taken off. We should say that this is one of the biggest soundtracks of all time. I'm sure that that's a big factor. It's like you have, if you're the supervisor or the the producers behind it, you would want to try to get as many young people to see the movie in addition to being hooked on the soundtrack as possible. So maybe that was their kind of workaround. You haven't haven't seen this film, but there is a lot of uh, uh, sexual violence, racism, and homophobia that like... Oh no! So we've got some problematic aspects happening. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like a, you know, the people aren't supposed to be heroic. I, I don't know. It's, you know, bad bad behavior of fictional characters isn't necessarily problematic as long as you don't, you know, heroize the people doing it. I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I mean, in in reality, you know, the 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 main characters are dudes that do a bunch of speed and hang out at the discotheque every Saturday night. And they're also like kind of in an Italian sort of gang, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're just like neighborhood meatballs. They're just like (laughs) kind of dumb, super rapey. Uh, Oh no. So, I mean, you know, like people like that do and did exist and it's sort of like well yeah it's in line with their behavior perhaps this is very very true to the fictional account of Bay Ridge Brooklyn <laughs> written by a British man who's too scared to go into the disco <laughs> uh, but I should I, I think the thing that uh, Chris maybe had read was that there were the two versions the R version and the PG version and one of the early when HBO was really doing movies back in the 80s I think they licensed both and they were running the PG version during the day and the R version at night. That is what I read. Uh, but uh, yeah, so so I don't know. I, I hadn't seen either, I don't think. But I think that it seemed to me that a lot of the uh, discussion, conversation about this movie that I had been near to definitely seemed like it must have been referring to the PG version because I was not prepared. Yeah, same. Oh, boy. Um, Gene Siskel, famous uh, film critic, uh maintained that uh saturday night fever was his favorite film uh but the the pg version was like a uh horrendous uh, attempt to to recut a film so he like doesn't (laughs) doesn't believe that it should exist um but interesting that uh you know siskel of siskel and ebert um loved this (laughs) movie the first two acts i thought were really really good and then the third act gets fucking squirrely and gross and weird but 
I don't know. Well, so the dance competition, uh, it's all leading up to the dance competition. There's, uh, you know, uh, Tony, John Travolta is trying to find a good partner for the dance competition. And um, I liked how the way that dance competition unfolded. Um, yeah, yeah. And the, they kind of biff it and then much better dancers come in. Well, so more than a woman happens. And like, he's been doing some great dancing so far in the disc. He does some really cool moves. Inspired me. I'm, I'm working with the trainer right now. Um, Dude, John Travolta, no stunt doubles. This is all him. Man. It's all him, it. baby. He was running two impressive. miles a day, dancing for three hours a day. Uh, he, he's got like very bird-like movements, though. He's like kind of bopping around and like looks uh, very frail. <laughs> you know, it's but the body of a dancer. But Dude, he he moves he moves like no man I've seen. Yeah, it's Young it's very old. impressive. But the the final dance scene is this like lame like old like cruise ship couple dance uh, that's not that impressive. Yeah, and, yeah. and they still end up winning. And the like the couple after them and the couple before them, but they don't even mention them. Uh, were both far superior. And you see John Travolta watching. He's like the badness. Ah, this is bullshit. Like, oh, come on. Like, it's, it's so much better. And then, like, they win anyway. John Travolta wins. And then he gives the uh, the prize to the couple that danced after them, the Puerto Rican couple. Yeah, uh, but it, and then he has a meltdown. He has a meltdown, which, like, I, I loved that aspect of it. Like, somebody who's so dedicated to his own craft that he recognizes, like, it is bullshit that he won because, like, it was his house discotheque and there was probably, like... I can't tell if they were like it was thinly veiled racism that they were addressing. Um, that like no, I think it was outright racism. Outright racism, <laughs> not thinly veiled at all. But they were like, yeah, then, they wouldn't give it to the Puerto Rican I guess, couple. I was, I just wasn't prepared. Like the the third act becomes like a Lars von Trier movie where like <laughs> everybody has these like horrible outcomes and everything. Yeah, dude. It's like, the, oh Jesus. His friend that got a girl pregnant dies trying to impress John Travolta by jumping off a bridge. Or they're like jumping on this dangerous part of the bridge. Yeah, man. It is. Dude, every 70s movie has like one character who's like like an unhinged person who like maybe can't read. Yeah. Like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. And it was all based on a fake article. <laughs> yeah, let's jump into the next track. What do we got? We have got track six, Walter Murphy. A fifth of Beethoven. We should say here on track listing that Beethoven famously hated disco music. <laughs> He's just, just uh, turning over in his grave right now. An unauthorized. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he tried to sue him. He tried to sue him. <laughs> Dude, this was, that was the weird thing about the, one of the many weird things about the 70s. There was that record switched on Bach, which was uh, somebody had programmed like a Moog and had recorded a bunch of like Bach and it became this huge, uh, huge selling record. And then like, uh, Wendy Carlos did some of that for the like clockwork orange soundtrack. She might've done switch on Bach. I can't remember, but it was like a thing where all these like disco producers 
you know, basically all these studio nerds were like, you know, I might be able to make some money if I just take these like classical hits and make them into disco songs. Yeah, and royalty them, free, baby. And a lot of them didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Untapped marketplace. Yeah. Still to this day. Dude, this uh this is definitely like one of the songs that's playing in the disco. Mm-hmm. Tony's walking on. The disco scenes. First of all, there was some camera work in this movie that's like very like cutting edge like GoPro stuff where mm-hmm. it's like people dancing with the camera. Mm-hmm. like point of view shots that like with a big film camera. I did watch the trailer if that counts for anything, but uh, there were some, uh, some shots that I could tell were definitely an influence for uh, Paul Thomas Anderson for uh, Boogie Nights. Yeah. This, yeah. I mean, this, this whole movie impressively, impressively made movie. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to recommend watching it. Maybe. I don't know. There's a scene uh, when John Travolta and Stephanie are practicing together, and Stephanie's his, uh, who would become his final dance partner and uh, victim. Um, but they are dancing uh, together in the studio, and it does that spin shot where it, you know, like somebody's spinning, and it like it's the POV, and it's like the you know everyone's spinning around, and then it cuts back to John Travolta. And I want to, I've seen that shot parodied like a hundred times in movies and it's got to be the first instance of it. Well, it's one of those things where, you know, in the, in the days of uh, iPhone cameras, like everyone's like, Oh, here's a, you don't realize that a, a, like a film camera back then was like, like (laughs) just like this massive (laughs) monstrosity of a device. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's pretty impressive. How did you feel about uh, Stephanie's Brooklyn accent? I, I was more distracted that she was like, I'm 20 years old. <laughs> like, she's well, not. Was, and so well, John Travolta's 19 and he's like 32, it looked like. He, yeah, Travolta is supposed to be 19. And mm-hmm. but I think through half of the movie, she's always talking about how she's too old for him. Yeah. But I think that's like kind of one of the fun things about this movie is I don't, you're not supposed to like really like like anybody yeah <laughs> like she's constantly trying to be condescending about her like uh manhattan lifestyle that's she's all name bullshit. dropping all the time yeah yeah she's just like she's completely vapid and then it's like you're always kind of i'm like oh is she supposed to be like 30 or why she's out you know she's always talking about how old old and sophisticated she is she has this like in my mind a real like brutal brooklyn accent yeah i think uh, i think she's from la but uh yeah, at some point she like lets loose that she's twenty. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, you're a thirty year old actress from from L A. and you got like uh, Travolta's accent is great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was you know Benny Barbarino. Uh, he's yeah. he's pretty used to that old Brooklyn um, accent. Dude, Travolta, I, I guess Travolta was nominated for an Oscar, but he is he's really really good in this. Yeah, he crushes it. Uh, he crushes, and he's he's never looked better. Uh, he plays the same character that Danny Zuko was, just a guy that's like kind of a misogynist asshole that doesn't really learn anything. I don't know. Um, oh, dude! At one point, he's in the mirror dance. and he's like, "Do you think I'm losing my hair?" And you're like, "Oh boy, no idea." <laughs> just Damn. wait, John Travolta. You're gonna be wearing a wig for years. Let's get more into Travolta's personal life after track number seven. This is Tavares with More Than a Woman. Here in your arms I found my paradise My only chance for happiness And if I lose you now I think I will die oh, Say you'll always be my baby We can make it shine We can take forever 
the second time we've heard more than a woman on the soundtrack so yeah. far. It's another kind of uh, a mediocre cover of a Bee Gees song to to kind of try to change up some of the soundtrack. Um, <laughs> it's like a new, a new England R&B soul funk group. Mm-hmm. A couple former members, kind of interesting. Bernie Worrell. I think we all love Bernie. The uh, keyboardist for uh, Parliament. And then and uh, played with Talking Heads. And then yeah. uh, future Aerosmith drummer Joey Kramer. Nice. Hey. hey. So how do, what's the uh, what's the takeaway on uh, Travolta? Uh, is Travolta? <laughs> how do you guys feel about Travolta? Well, we well, did. the first thing you have to understand is that uh, the human body is inhabited by thetans, which are they're basically aliens. This is some. Uh, this is some going clear yeah, nonsense. Yeah. Basically, they got dropped into the volcanoes. The Thetans go everywhere. Yeah, and it causes some confusion. It causes mm-hmm. some conflict. What's a uh, for the listeners at home, Caleb? Uh, what is a Thetan? A Thetan is is the soul of a dead alien that that inhabits the soulless, mindless uh, ape creatures that that uh, that wander the earth. Right, and that that's written in stone. Yes, mm-hmm. this is all science fiction fact. Mm-hmm. And uh, Travolta, <laughs> Travolta's got a real goofy thetan that causes him to to sidle up to guys in gyms in the middle of the night and ask them their names. How much did you uh, have to pay to learn about these uh, these demons? You don't pay money; you invest money. You invest it in yourself. I, I like where you're going with this. <laughs> I'm interested. Uh, yeah, for the premium uh, users out there, you guys know that we do free <laughs> auditing uh, via oh, Zoom. Yeah. So anyone that's interested in telling us all their secrets uh, to be recorded, we can give you uh, just a, a run-of-the-mill feed and level reading. A lot, a lot of the technology that we use to record remotely is based on the e-meters. <laughs> all... If you've seen The Master, it's basically just like The Master. Oh, yeah. Dude, The Master is so good. That's a movie that I just like didn't watch for years for some reason, and... It might be one of my favorites. Yeah, it's, it's so goddamn good. It's emotionally draining movie. You watch <laughs> yeah. it, you're like, oh my god! I think it's the Johnny Johnny Greenwood's score, right? Yeah, yeah. Johnny Greenwood score, one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh, last film, one of his last films, mm-hmm. and uh, man, Amy Adams as well. Just like fantastic. So good, so good. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into the next track. Track eight. Man, how many tracks we got? 17? Woof. We're, we're, we're right. going through it. We're doing great, guys. Track eight is David Shire with Manhattan Skyline. So David Shire, this is essentially score from the movie. He's done a lot of like great 70s scores and it's kind of perfect to be like this is a movie about disco. Like you you're a composer, like you work with string orchestras and everything. Just do what you do but do it disco. And it's like, "Oh yeah, that's easy. Just put down that disco beat and do whatever like string motif you wanted to do." And I think it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's it's bland, but it's just it's score for the film. Do you guys feel like this was influenced by the end of Willy Wonka? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which part? 
da, 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 oh. when they're flying and the, you've won charlie you've won <laughs> <laughs> they're up in the uh the wonkavator and it goes to the roof <laughs> and it's like the i don't know dutch town skyline <laughs> i don't know where willy wonka and the chocolate factory was this whole like weird manhattan thing i guess i guess new york's changed a lot like uh we all live in brooklyn yeah i don't i don't really feel like going to manhattan is a special or pleasurable experience i i i think i disagree with i think people that grew up um i've got a buddy who grew up in staten island and he's he does say like that skyline does call to you and it does seem like a different world and they've talked he's a, in um entertainment and he's talking about like people are like are you gonna move to la and he's like no because like you want to conquer that thing in the distance you know well, I, mean? I should say that People in Bay Ridge look at Staten Island like it's Bay Ridge. Like people in Manhattan look at Bay Ridge. <laughs> like that's part of the movie. They're looking at the uh, the Verrazano Bridge, the giant bridge that runs essentially yeah. from Bay Ridge to Staten Island. He knows all the facts about the Verrazano Bridge for some reason. You know, it's uh, 60, 690 feet tall. Uh, uh, there's a guy buried in. Uh, I'm going walking now. <laughs> They just left it there. It's like it's hilarious. And you're like, what? <laughs> but they like uh, they climb climb up on that bridge for fun in their spare time. Yeah, all of his buddies pull some lost boys moves, and they uh, just like you know do handstands on the edge of the Verrazano. They first of all they stop like with their car yeah. on the bridge and just get out, which is horrifying. And then they're like doing handstands and like climbing the ropes and like messing with the lights and. Uh, there's one part where they trick this poor girl and that they're like, Oh my God, I can't, I, I'm going to fall. And like a guy falls and like another one jumps, uh, to like try to help him. And then like, you know, uh, John Travolta's like, Oh my God. And he, <laughs> he jumps after him too. <laughs> it looks like they're all dead. And then it shows that there's a little like grate that catches them all. But then later in the movie, that grate is not there <laughs> and somebody does fall and die. I have two things to say about that scene. One is that, you know, you can talk about foreshadowing, but uh, I feel like that one character the whole time might as well have been like, oh, gosh, I don't know what to do. Maybe I'll just kill myself. Oh, not, not me. No, what? No, I didn't see it. He's like, nah, oh, this, this guy is going to kill himself. I thought he was going to hang himself for some reason, but I'm like, this guy, he keeps hinting that he's going to kill himself, right? Yeah, they're pretty and tough then, on Bobby. <laughs> and then the other thing I'm going to say is, I think I was looking up just recently. The toll on the Verrazano is like fucking fifteen, twenty dollars or something. <laughs> That's good. These guys, like maybe have you guys could have a few extra drinks at fucking two thousand one instead of pulling <laughs> this prank on the Verrazano. Yeah, but they they probably just like you know blast through the tolls and tell the toll booth guy go screw you know. <laughs> <laughs> they probably drive all the way out there and then they gotta circle around and drive back. That's like fucking forty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> It was the 70s, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dickie, what do we got next? We've got track number nine. This is Ralph McDonald with Calypso Breakdown. like the uh the segment you selected for this uh caleb i think ralph mcdonald really wanted people to sample the drum beat from this song because the first 60 <laughs> seconds of the song are just that 
that drum beat with those bells just for a minute straight. Yeah, he's just begging for it. He's like, please sample this. All through the 90s, he just had like, he would turn on hip hop radio, just like waiting. It's like, no, no. Still (laughs) nothing yet. (laughs) Nothing yet. Man, this guy, pretty awesome. I don't know that much about him, but he's like uh, one of the co- the co-creators of uh, just the two of us with Bill Withers. Oh, Where's great. the love with Roberta Flack, Donny Hathaway? Pretty great. Is this the scene in the? Is this in the club when, um, when Stephanie is like the first time you see her and she starts dancing to a terrible song? Uh, so. This is yeah. This is the song they put on. It's like I can't dance to this. I can't dance to <laughs> this. And they're like she's <laughs> dancing to it, and that's when you know. Uh, John Travolta's tractor beams get set on Stephanie. That's why I was like, this this totally is a great depiction of the club because you're just like, he comes in, the music's great, there's all these like dance moves, and you're like, this is this club is fucking sweet. And yeah. then the music takes a change, and you're like, what's what is this? Yeah. And I, like everything clears out except for these two people dancing, and I'm like, yeah, what the fuck is the DJ doing? It's <laughs> like, hey, come what on, what is this bullshit? <laughs> This is a nice um, song, but don't play it in the club. Jesus. We had that at a club happen uh, that we went out to recently before COVID happened. It was a it was a new club in Williamsburg. I think it was called JJ's Hideaway. Yeah, yeah, we were there. Yeah, man. The, the DJ was all over the place. <laughs> there was a set of speakers on one side of the dance floor and a stereo set of speakers on the other side of the dance floor. Yeah. And he was just going between Beatles songs and songs like this by Ralph McDonald. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then just switching between genres yeah, by de- <laughs> by decade, but when he would crossfade them across the room, like nothing was nothing was beat matched. It was a total nightmare. Yeah, the DJ the DJ had there were two two decks, but each one was was hooked up to a different set of speakers. Uh, I've never seen like so much like the facial displeasement of of patrons on a dance floor, just people ah <laughs> Uh, funny thing about this song. So I guess, uh, uh, you know, when Tony arrives at the disco, he's smoking cigs and, you know, kissing ladies and high fiving dudes and, uh, you know, dance with anybody he wants. And, uh, this one, like he's got like a groupie there named Doreen and she's like, can I wipe the sweat from your forehead? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. And she like wipes the sweat. She's like, I just love watching you dance. I just love watching you dance. Then he like dances with her and for like two seconds. Then this song comes on. And he's like, what is this? And like runs away. And you're like, oh, poor Doreen. Yeah. Would you say that this is a movie that I should watch? I think you should, especially the, I think you should. The first I think everybody half, should. The first half I was pumped up the first, I mean, yeah. it's peppered with like, these guys are, these guys are pretty terrible. They're like, heckling people on the street super racist and you're like well you know i guess that's who they are but it's i think the first half and then and then it gets like pretty crazy and then at the end i feel like some of the female characters you know i I, some of that seems like uh exploitative by the film and that it's like i don't feel like this character would say or do these things and like this is just like a weird way to wrap up the story for the guys they're pretty tough on the ladies in this movie uh, there's a couple of N bombs early on that the group drops, and you're like, "Oh Jesus!" <laughs> like, yeah. It's like ten minutes in. Come on, guys. Uh, but man, the disco scenes are pretty, pretty crazy. Let's uh, speaking of, let's jump into track ten. Track ten. Before we get to a break, this is David Shire with "Night on Disco Mountain." 
I did not catch this track when I was listening to the soundtrack ahead of time. And uh, <laughs> bananas, right? again, this is a whole genre that is, uh, yeah. uh, I think, could be could be tapped. People could get more into this classical <laughs> classical music disco reimagination. Wasn't this song in fucking uh, Fantasia or something? That's from Fantasia with the demon on the mountaintop. Yeah, Night on Bald Mountain. Yeah. It's some Russian composer. I can't remember his name. But yeah, it's going on my fucking Halloween playlist. I'll tell you that. <laughs> spooky track. Spooky jams. It's an ominous part of the of the movie. This is when they're like first jumping around on the bridge, you know? So <laughs> the genius movie is that you know they're trying to play scary movie or scary movie music for this like <laughs> tense scene but it's everything still has to be disco <laughs> it's still gotta be disco yeah <laughs> oh wait th- wait sorry this is the second time they're on the bridge when they uh when oh this is like the real the so, real shit yeah they're really the trying real to bridge spooky. yeah yeah oh my god there are when we talk about disco uh generally chris is he's pretty quick to mention some was it the disco duck disco duck which appears in this film appears in the film not on the soundtrack thank god <laughs> disco that, duck it's where that's donald a- duck uh is a big part of the song um <laughs> just you know it, it, it was basically the um do you guys remember mambo number no. five uh lou bega who the, could forget, who I who could remember forget? <laughs> yes <laughs> but but do you remember the um uh, the Disney version of it's like a uh, little bit of Daisy by my side, Huey, Dewey, Louie all night long. <laughs> it's like, I, gotta say, I think that's probably only the third or fourth time you brought that up on this podcast. Okay, well, you know. <laughs> Guys, we are coming up on a break. Coming up on a break uh, at the end of the episode, we are going to add a track to the track listing Spotify playlist. Very special, our, our favorite Saturday night song. Saturday, mm-hmm. maybe even a Saturday day song. Saturday, and then uh, I got a game for you also after the break. Looking forward to it. Get excited. Spooky stuff. <laughs> Stick with us. Hey, thank you guys for listening to the track listing podcast. As always, we want to hear from you. Hey. 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 <laughs> Welcome to our ad. Uh, how can they uh, reach out to us, Chris? Well, you can find us on Instagram. That is at Tracklisting Podcast. You can Gmail us. Do people? Uh, it's 2020 now. I don't know if people email anymore. People but if, if, if you want Gmail, it's uh, tracklistingpodcast at gmail.com. And rate and review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Yeah. And make sure to follow our uh, official Spotify tracklisting playlist on Spotify. Get on that iTunes and try to balance out our one one star review. Yeah, who did that? <laughs> who hey! hey! Thanks for listening. We love y'all. Welcome back to the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. But first, before we get back, we do have a game prepared by Caleb Brown. Thank you, guys. Uh, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is you guys are going to be in a position to make some money tonight. Hey! Hey! Bad the news is we're playing uh, Caleb's Mind Mill Dollar Dash. <laughs> Whatever we call this thing. That uh, is uh, at Chris-Darden and at Nick-Lagrasta. If any listeners do want to donate to our uh, 
Venmo's. No, it's just at Christopher Darden. False statements. I'm Caleb Seven, but there's a bunch of dashes and weird shit in there. I don't know. Okay, so uh, basically, I got 10 clues for you here. It's all part of one sequence. Uh, you guys hopefully will be able to figure out what the pattern is pretty quickly. I'm going to give you $1 for artist, $1 for song for each track. You got you to gotta think like Caleb to make Caleb's money. Okay. If you, if you guys want to pre-guess, otherwise we're going to jump right in and hear the first clue. Uh, I'm going to pre-guess a song by uh, U2. Chris, anything? Uh, I'm going to pre-guess a... Guys, you have to agree on every guess. Yeah, sure. I'll agree with you too. Sure. Okay. Sunday, okay. bloody Sunday. All right. Here we go. Clue one. I've been in this game for years. Uh, it made me an animal. It's rules to the shit. Uh-huh. I wrote me a manual, a step-by-step book. All right, Chris, what did you think that was? That is Ten Crack Commandments by the Notorious B.I.G. Oh, wow, I feel like somebody might have mentioned that on a recent episode. Maybe the last time we played this game. Ah, okay. Chris's guesses. That's the first track. Do you guys have any idea what you want to guess for Clue 2? So is this following the same pattern as uh, last time? There's a different link? Explain, explain to the listeners what I'm doing on the camera. He is doing his, uh, he's twiddling his mustache. He no, is. No, he, uh, C- Caleb has zipped his lip and You're thrown away the key. Is he? Oh, I thought he was popping a zit or, or twirling your mustache. <laughs> I couldn't tell. <laughs> no, it's clearly the not speaking. But. <laughs> okay, so 10 crack commandments. Let's go. What, what, what is, is there a nine song? There's 10 clues to this, so perhaps... Um, there is, uh, I think there's like an Aerosmith track called Nine Lives, maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. What about uh, the Number Nine by the Beatles? Uh, there's Revolution Number Nine on the White Album. That's disc two. I like that. You want to try that? <laughs> Revolution Number Nine? Let's do yeah. Revolution Number Nine by the Beatles. All right. Let's hear clue two. Jumping, shower, and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets, the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five What a way to make a living Ooh, Close But No Cigar. That is Dolly Parton with nine to five. That's from a famous soundtrack. Um, no money. No money, but you guys are on to a pattern. Eight. Um, I think I already know what seven is, but eight... Ooh, do we know an eight song? All right, what am I doing on the Zoom now? He's doing it. Uh, you're pointing at your wrist. Uh, seeing He's pointing. Caleb is pointing at his Apple Watch <laughs> to show how much money we could be making right now. <laughs> I'm going to need a guess. I got nothing for eight. Eight o'clock uh, something, some song, eight o'clock. Yeah. Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock rock. Clock rock around rock. the clock. All right, let's hear... Uh, Another fantastic soundtrack that is Eight Mile by Eminem. Eminem, of course. Make a note here. You guys have zero dollars in the bank. Okay. For seven, I think Seven Wonders by our favorite uh, Fleetwood Mac. What do you think? Ooh, I like that. What do you think, Nick? Um, do you have a better seven? 
song. There's a lot of seven songs, I suppose, but I'm trying to think like Caleb, trying to get in Caleb's brain. You gotta think like Caleb to spend like Caleb. I got a hot wad of dollars. Win Caleb money. Brown's money. <laughs> seven wonders. Seven wonders. Let's do it. All you right. Lock it in. Yeah, let's lock, lock it in. It. Here's clue four. Fleetwood Mac. I'm gonna fight them all. I said the nation army couldn't hold me back. They're gonna rip it off. Taking their time right behind my back. That was Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes. The improbable, uh. Uh, improbable jock jam. Seven Nation Army, great song. I thought that was going to be easy money at number seven. Oh, I know. Why did I, I just? Uh, I read today that apparently Jack Black came up with that riff, and he decided he was going to save it for well, if he Bond? ever got hired to do a Bond movie. <laughs> I read the and same he's thing. Like, he was like, ah, I guess I don't think this is going to happen, and they just put it out. And then he got hired to do a Bond movie like three years later. I do have a guess for a six song. Let's hear it. I'm all out of ideas. I'm going to guess Six Underground by Sneaker Pimps. Okay. Okay. A reasonable guess. Let's hear the answer. At the starting of the week, at Summit Talks, you'll hear them speak. It's only Monday. That is uh, Six Days by DJ Shadow off of one of my favorite albums from the 90s, Introducing. Uh, I thought you guys would uh, bank a couple dollars on that Seven Nation Army, to be honest. I wanted to throw you a little bit of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so we are coming in on Clue 6, which is a five song. We think. So far. We I'm not think. sure on the pattern yet, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be a five yeah. song. Uh, five. A five. It's tough to work backwards like this. Five six seven five three zero nine nine eight six seven four. No, it's eight, eight six, six seven five. Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> five five nights five five days five six uh, days seven nights forty right. days forty nights. Caleb, we are getting <laughs> lost in numbers. Yeah, the buzzer there. I'm going to need an answer for five. Assuming that that's even the pattern, I don't know. I don't want to give away too much. <laughs> Something by NY5. I don't know. The NY5's title hey. NY5. Deep, deep friend cut. Let's hear the answer. This is Clue 6. Five Years by David Bowie off of his Ziggy Stardust album. Great album. Did not come to mind. Damn it. Okay. Four. Any ideas? For Maybe it's a pun. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of four songs, I feel like. There's a lot of bands with like the four tops, the four seasons. There is For Your Love by the Yardbirds. Yeah. Let's see if we can... St- I feel like there's definitely a clue with F-O-U-R. F-O-U-R. All right, I'm going to have to ask for a guess. We got seven more tracks on uh, Saturday Night Fever coming up for you. Going to need that guess. Uh, it's going to be a long edit. Dead air. Uh, Blank. Pass. Right. Oh, no. Damn it. Clue seven. Reveal yourself. Four in the morning and the water is pouring down. 
That is The Young Bloods with Four in the Morning, a song that I mentioned before I mentioned on our Fear and Loathing episode. I feel like you guys weren't listening very hard. <laughs> uh, this game is not fun anymore. Also the episode that had For Your Love by uh, the Yardbirds on it, which I, I thought about yeah. putting here, but then I, I knew that Chris would throw a fit. I would throw I, a fit. If I broke from protocol. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? You got an obscure one. You got That one was for Caleb. Caleb's okay. keeping his own money with that. Right. So, so yeah. if only there was a song called Three Doors Down. Right? <laughs> okay. Three. The three. Um, God damn it. <laughs> this is dead air. Uh, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. you. Guys, don't make much of my money on this. You're gonna have to play the game again next time. <laughs> money rolls over. Okay. Three. Shall we hear? Yeah. What is this just, clue? Just play it. Just play it. <laughs> clue so eight. This is this is clue eight. Chris felt that one. Yeah, that one hurts. Because the last one was 4 a.m. I should have... 4 a.m., 3 a.m. 4 in the morning, that is 3 a.m. by Matchbox 20. <sighs> numbers, numbers, numbers. Yeah. <laughs> numbers, numbers right. everywhere. Okay, two. We've got some two. Just the two of us, Bill Withers. Do you like that? I like that, but I think it's got to start, start with, with two. It. Okay. E-W-O. Okay. Every single track has started with the number. That's true. That's true. Uh, that's two. Two. I'll give you a hint that if you guys don't get this right, I think that Chris will be the most angry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that upsets me even more. Uh, two. <laughs> two. Uh, I can give you another. I, I'll give you another hint. Tomorrow morning, when Chris wakes up, he's really going to regret not getting this. The first thing he'll think of when he wakes up in the morning is going to be not getting this one. When Chris wakes up. <laughs> Weird. A third hint. The next time we play this game, Chris will remember this moment and he'll it'll fill him with dread that he didn't get this one. Damn, Chris. <laughs> Tuesday. I would say Tuesday's gone, <laughs> but two, what's uh, the it's, got, it's got two, two, w, two W-O. Okay, 2 a.m., 2 p.m., two, if two by C. All right, we got to go. We got to play this clue. Well, let's just do oh, just man. the two of us. Let's Good just night. do just the two of us. By Bill Withers. Caleb is writing that down, and here is clue nine. So come on, be my desire. That is Stacy Q, Two of Hearts. When we were in that club, that's the song we were hoping was going to come on. <laughs> God dang it. <laughs> All right. All so right. bringing us home, I mean, I've got one love, Bob Marley. One is the loneliest check. number. Just check one is the loneliest number. Let me check in real quickly in the Dollar Dash bank account. You guys have cashed $0 so far. So this is... I'm, I'm legitimately upset. Uh, this is last ditch effort. We might Wednesday. need to take a break after this for just like, I just gotta like take a walk outside for a sec. There is a man 
in the building outside my window that is staring directly at me recording this podcast. <laughs> and Ask if he knows. Ex- ex- excuse me while I close my curtain for yeah, a minute. You guys want to do a street shout out? Street shout out. Um, Cash Cash really, uh, Cash Cash. terrifying. Uh, I'm going to guess. Wait, this is still really scary. <laughs> <laughs> Really, I'm gonna stick with. Um, I'm gonna go. I mean, there's a lot of one songs. One is the love. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go or one. Yeah, love. You want to do love. one love by Bob Marley? But that's not how Caleb thinks. How does Caleb think? But uh, how Caleb thinking about one would be like? Is, is it Pink Floyd? One is the loneliest number. No. no, that that's uh that's like Harry Nielsen, right? One is the loneliest number that you have. Um, let's go. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Marley. Okay, let's go. One love because we don't know who's playing. <sighs> one is the loneliest number. Is it the birds? All right, this is for all the dollars. <laughs> the loneliest number that you'll ever do Two can be as bad as one It's the loneliest number since the number one Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Alright, thank you Caleb Unfortunately, no one is getting Venmoed tonight Yeah Yeah I'm so mad, guys. Our okay. Venmo sponsorship oh, is in jeopardy. <laughs> Thanks for well, playing, guys. Good quiz. Yeah, thank you. Uh, a, a fiendishly difficult quiz. Uh, thank you for putting that together, Caleb. That's very fun. Very fun for all of us. <laughs> oh, man. You zoomed down. I'm sorry. <laughs> Chris, it's going to be all right because yeah, what's, what's track 11 is by Cool in the Gang. Yeah. And this oh, is Open Sesame. This this track could be straight out of uh, Aladdin on Broadway. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love this track, man. I'm a big Cool in the Gang fan, but this one is a little bit. It, it it's got its toes in a disco duck territory for yeah, me. It's a little novelty. Um, this yeah. is playing when the uh, I think who should have won the dance contest is the first couple you oh, see. Yeah. This black couple that just like destroys uh, like feats of athleticism. People are getting lifted, and it's like there's more excitement. It's so much more. And they didn't even place. They didn't even place in the top three. But they were like far and away the best dancers. Just, ugh, passionate. Yeah, this song, this, song is a, this song is a pass for me, but I do like Cool Gang quite a bit. All right, Nikki, what do we got next to track 12? This is the Bee Gees with Jive Talking. Oh, you got so much. Watch you 
part i'm definitely hearing some stevie wonder influence oh yeah baby the first time i heard that uh that song jive talking was actually not the original it was a cover by uh this band called boogie box high and uh boogie box high was uh this project by this guy named andros giorgio Mm -hmm. who was uh the second cousin to george michael Oh. oh, and there were a couple of like cool people he had on board for this project. Uh, he had one of the uh, he had the guitarist from this band called a uh, Haircut One Hundred, yeah, and and the keyboardists of uh, a band called the Style Council. Oh yeah, and, which is great. Style Council is a, a spinoff of the Jam. Yeah, so he he kind of got like this little bit of a group together, and he made an instrumental cover of a uh, Jive Talking. And around the same time that George Michael was in the studio recording his uh, Faith album, his cousin uh, Giorgio showed up with these uh, with these tracks, and George Michael loved the tracks, and they made one album together. And I think it got a really small release, and the project never went anywhere. But this uh, this album called Outrageous, with this Bee Gees cover of Jive Talking with George Michael singing the lead vocal on it, is uh, was my first introduction to the track, and it's uh, it's fantastic. Sounds like fire, man. Sounds awesome. All right, what do we got next, Nikki? This is track 13. We've got the Bee Gees with You Should Be Dancing. Yeah, again with this uh, with this track, the uh, the Bee Gees original was not my first introduction to the uh, track. It was hearing a um, the "You Should Be Dancing" remix uh, uh, re-edit by Todd Terrier. It's really good, but it like never kicks into like the chorus or whatever. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty great. It's one of my favorites. Dude, this this song, yeah, this song is like that. I, I, so I wanted to. <laughs> Uh, kind of like going back to some of the club scenes in this movie, like when Travolta's doing his shit, it's like really impressive. And there's some very like uh, kind of intoxicating scenes of everybody joining in and they're all doing like dance moves together. Yeah. And it's like pretty cool. But at a certain point, like uh, I kind of realized I was like, oh, I mean, I say this, this is a, a total compliment, but they're doing like gay square dancing mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't realize it. <laughs> It's like, oh yeah, there's this new thing called disco, and it's like, no, you're you're just doing like a combination of like I don't know, like gay culture and and like like cowboy culture, and it's a bunch of people like you know doing the electric slide or something. And I was like, this is, but I I think that like if this movie were made today, movies like this made today definitely cross over. The dancing's too involved, and there's like stunt doubles and stuff, and it just doesn't like like this seems like. It's just on the border of believability in my mind. 
like it's all got the some like authenticity happening. And this yeah. song, this song is playing like during uh, Tony's solo performance, which is what you'll see on the cover of him doing like the the classic disco move with the disco ball and the disco lights. Uh, but yeah, this is he he has like a three minute solo dance thing to this, and it's it's awesome. It's really yeah, good. It's- Oh man, it's the dance scenes are pretty amazing, and I'm I'm not one for dance scenes. It is funny that the like the big climactic dance contest, it's it becomes more of a climax for like the kind of quote unquote love story, and then you're kind of like, oh, that wasn't that great, but then it becomes a plot point where all the other dancers are a lot better than him because they were like more professional. Yeah, and you're just like, oh yeah, and it's it's and all he's got, you know. It gets real dark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Let's hear track 14. This is Casey and the Sunshine Band with Boogie Shoes. We just had Casey and the Sunshine Band on our last episode. But uh, yeah, this is one of my favorite songs of theirs. This is a really good song. Yeah. I remember is... when I was growing up, there was a, uh, a Trick Daddy song that sampled it pretty heavily. <laughs> I love Trick Daddy. Take it to the house. Um, nice, man. Yeah, I feel like this song has been played in so many movies and trailers and TV shows throughout the modern era. Yeah, it's at this part in the movie, I think Roller Girl is introduced and she's um, you know, <laughs> taking photos of everybody at the porn party and they jump into the pool. Or no, no, okay, maybe I'm thinking of a different <laughs> <laughs> was this on a, Ah, Buggy Nights. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> soundtrack which we did like a few months ago great soundtrack i was gonna say we didn't really talk about uh tony's home life uh that much he brought up his father earlier and i guess he in a deleted scene gets him his job back after he storms off to help somebody move <laughs> he's like i got a guy of the friday off i gotta help this lady move um <laughs> Oh, man. It's, it's a lot of cringy, believable moments in that relationship. But yeah, the family, yeah. the family stuff I thought was great. Yeah, it's uh, his brother is a priest and everyone loves his his Catholic priest brother and he quits the faith. Um, and then that, that plot point just kind of fizzles out. But I guess yeah, like yeah. you're left to believe like, so now, you know, everyone hates the brother for quitting the priesthood and now it's like up to Tony to like be the star of the family, I guess. It's funny. Like uh, a quarter of the way through the movie, you get strong vibes that somebody's going to kill themselves. And you know, I was like, is the brother gonna, he's going to come home and his brother's going to be like hanging in the bedroom or somebody's hanging themselves. Somebody's. And then it's like, uh, at many points, the, his, his kind of regular dance partner who like, uh, is this woman that obviously like is in love with him mm-hmm. and he, he like is friends with her, but he's constantly blowing her off. Yeah, that's uh, a tragic. Um, that's a tragic character in this movie. Yeah, that character. I feel like she does. That actress does a great job. Yeah, and she, I was like, I'm like, oh, she's gonna fucking kill herself any minute. She tries <laughs> to never. Yeah, she almost does, but that's just a red. That's just like a fake out for the guy who is definitely gonna kill himself to kill himself. Yeah, oh. uh, Donna Pesco. Uh, she's got a great interview about like 
her agent, I don't, this was kind of her first big break, and uh, her agent told her, like, yeah, it's a tiny part, just go in and read, like, it's a tiny part, because her agent was worried she would blow it if she told her, like, this is a really good part. So, like, you know, Donna Pesco goes in uh, and, like, reads, like, a pretty big scene, and like or, like, I guess does a bunch of improv, and then they call her back, like, four times, and she's like, all this for, like, a tiny part? And then, like, the first day, like, when she got the script, she was like, I'm all over this movie. Why did you lie to me? Asian's <laughs> like, hey, I thought you'd blow it. I don't know. I thought you'd get too excited to get in your head. Uh, so maybe that's a good uh, old agent trick. <laughs> Apparently, like the Bee Gees, it was kind of the same thing with them when they got brought on board. They, I think they had already had Travolta. I think Travolta said that he was dancing to uh, Boz Skaggs and, uh, yes, and Stevie Wonder and then only in post-production once they got to that stage they were like oh we'll get the bgs and and when they approached the bgs the bgs didn't really have a a sense of what the movie was about like they maybe had one meeting and like they gave them a copy of the script and uh like who knows if they even like read the script but they were like i think once they got a sense of what it was about and how their music that they had already made fit into it and then crafted music to supplement that they were like, oh, my God, this is, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, this totally. We're all over this, man. Yeah. Uh, Donna Pesco, uh, if you guys are Even Stevens fans, uh, was the mom in Even Stevens. So just, I'm too uh, old, but I, I've, I've heard. Yeah, I think Boz Skaggs, they, apparently they pulled the rights for that because there was some other disco movie that they wanted to like uh, have, have that song be in instead that never came. I think that w- that was the funniest part was that they're like no nah, the label was like no nah, Boz has got his hands in a in another disco pie <laughs> and and that disco pie never took off oh. sadly so Boz Boz lost out on an opportunity here I do like that song but it's yeah. no it's no staying alive yeah that's very true all right Nikki what do we got next we are coming in on track number. 15. This is David Shire with Saul Session. Yeah, so isn't this the the song that the Puerto Rican couple is like dancing to at the competition? No, no, that'll oh, be no. coming okay. up pretty quick. But um, this is, I think, either the first or second song um, that when Tony notices Stephanie dancing. There's so much shredding that it's hard to hear the disco. <laughs> it's hard hard to get to the beat. <laughs> yeah, this uh, there's a pretty funny character in this who's like. So I, I do a lot of improv at like, <laughs> they're basically dance studios around Manhattan. And there's like one that Tony frequents, I guess, to practice his dancing moves. And that's where he, he notices um, Stephanie and like just walks into her rehearsal space that she's rented smoking a cigarette. And like it, in those uh, studios, if somebody else walks into the one you've paid, you know, like $15 an hour to rent or something, you're like, get out. We, it's not our, it's not your time yet. 
we have seven minutes left. <laughs> like, there's there's no way she would let him even like walk in the door. You'd be like, "This is mine. This is my space. Please, if you don't mind." <laughs> it's my turn to play salsation. It's my turn to play pretend with my adult friends and do some improv. Thinking of like, first of all, we should say this movie. There's a lot of movies where it's 1970s New York, and you're like, "This is a fucking shithole death trap." <laughs> You know, I, yeah. <laughs> New York uh, seemed so terrifying to me and probably was terrifying through the <laughs> 70s and 80s. Uh, but well, then the, I, yeah. also like the portrait of kind of uh, young urban life before phones and like internet mm-hmm. where it's like, I work at the paint shop. And it's like uh, his dad, like what is his dad, like work construction or something. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's got like they got the like a three bedroom house in Brooklyn yeah. What is uh, Travolta's day job? He works in a paint shop. He's like, he's, he's like uh, mixing cans of paint store. and just kind of like showing people where brushes are and shit. Before like the internet's like, okay, I got my paint shop job. And then when I'm out, I just go to a, a dance studio and I dance all day. And then it's like, man, people used to just have time. They just used to have time and they would just do stuff. I, I feel like... Uh uh, they definitely speak to like he's like oh he works at a paint store all week and then blows his paycheck every Saturday at the discotheque I mean like and then it just you know creates the cycle that you never get out of because you don't have you never have any money so you have to keep working <laughs> and you know that that'll run out when he's about 32 and his kids are like five and eight and he's just like ah, I can't Boo-hoo. I can't dance anymore I I hurt my back. And that's his life, you know, and he's just miserable. <laughs> we are coming in towards the end of the soundtrack here. This is the penultimate track, track 16 by MFSB. This is KG. So not having seen the film, I'm going to guess that this is playing in the movie where John Travolta's character is showing paint samples <laughs> to a potential customer. Close. Close. Is that even close? This is the Puerto Rican, uh, the Spanish dance couple that should have won uh, in, uh, ah. in Tony's eyes. And and their, their dance is fun. Um, it's exciting. <laughs> they look like they're having a blast. They're moving all over the dance floor. Like they look really good. Um, it is definitely like, yeah, there's like this, uh, this Bay Ridge, like disco club. And then, you know, the flyers get put out that they're having a dance contest and these like two like professional dancers come in and it's like, <laughs> it's like a real thing. Yeah. This is, yeah. I should say MFSB. This is a mother, father, sister, brother. It's kind of like a, a big backing band in like the Philly soul scene. Uh, they played for uh, like the stylistics, which I've recommended on the show before. OJ's, uh, Harold Melvin, The Spinners, Wilson Pickett. Yeah. Um, mm. A huge roster of former members and like a, an amazing amount of them are deceased. I don't know. This is like seems like a cursed band. I know that it was a while ago, but 
oh my god, like half of them are dead. <laughs> oh no, oh no. Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace. This will take us straight into track 17. We have arrived. <laughs> this is The Tramps with Disco Inferno. I don't know if there's a more iconic disco track i i had to play like the beginning of it even though i think this song is there's different versions but this might be almost 11 minutes long yeah yeah uh, be, the uh, behind the paywall version of track listing we do play all 11 minutes of that track <laughs> <laughs> this is a long long boy and there's like a lot of singing and everything but this like the that drop at the beginning is so iconic i had to put it in the tramps so so this movie came out in 1977 I've seen some people, it's kind of up for debate, some people have made an argument that the first disco song uh, was a track by the Tramps. It was like maybe in 73 or something. Wow, factoid. It was a pretty short shelf life for a very influential uh, musical genre. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you guys recognize, or did Caleb recognize uh, who was dancing with Tony during this scene? I don't know if I did. I think... uh, Kind of like rightfully, they I think they played this song like three or four times in this movie. Any clues? Uh, she had a very successful uh, sitcom that some people hate. <laughs> no, I don't know. Roseanne's Fran. Uh, close. Uh, yeah, she's not not the Red biggest dancer. The, wait, the, um, na- the nanny? The nanny, Fran Drescher. Oh, Fran nanny. Drescher. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. She's yeah, in there and she's sense. like. Do you dance as good as you fuck? <laughs> like, that was her? Yeah, it was Fran Drescher. Oh, man. I used to watch yeah, that show I, when I was a kid. I remember I, enjoying I The Nanny. But, uh, you know. I loved The Nanny. <laughs> I loved The Nanny. <laughs> and I loved uh, The Beautician and the Beast, Fran Drescher's, uh, <laughs> the Fran Drescher vehicle. Yeah, she's great. Uh, she can move. I found that scene, that was like a scene where uh, Tony was, was negging her a little too hard. Yeah, she was. I, it was kind of under the cover of flirting, but it was kind of like, hey, like she's like hitting on him, and, and he's like, if you fuck like you dance, like I'm surprised anybody even looks at you in the face. She's like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh what? my goodness! You're so mean. Yeah. yeah, she's not the best dancer. Okay, and that's you know that's all he cares about. <laughs> um, sort of, because then you know he doesn't pay Annette any mind, but she's a very good dancer. It's a, it's it's a weird world he's living in. But um, oh uh, yeah. Man, there's a, there's a lot of movies that have this song in it, but it it should be in every movie. That's my that's my case. <laughs> yeah, you just slap this as the last song on the Godzilla soundtrack, and you've got yourself the last a track on every gold album. <laughs> so good. Well, that is the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. We made it. We made a little it. bit of a marathon. Wow, yeah. what a finish line. We did it. It's um, now Monday night. Yeah, <laughs> there's a uh, I guess few points in the movie that this maybe has the worst fight 
uh, scene choreography I've ever seen. There's a um, <laughs> there's a scene in which they attack the Barracudas uh, by driving a car into their club, and and then they later find out it probably wasn't them that beat up their friend. So it's just a hate crime. They just do a hate crime because uh, it's a Puerto Rican gang. But yeah, the the fight choreography in that is really bad. It's like clearly they didn't hire fight choreographers. They just like use the dance choreographers to do the fight scene because it's all like, and he swings and he does a kick spin. And then like it's, it's very funny, but. <laughs> Man, this, yeah, this is a movie with uh, very few sympathetic characters. Uh, but a lot of good dancing. Yeah. So it's uh it's time where we have to review this soundtrack. And uh, Chris, if you don't mind going first out of fifteen disco balls, I what mean, what would you give? What an iconic soundtrack! We've been doing some really good ones. Um, this you can absolutely listen to start to finish uh, at a dance party, and I don't think there's one. Uh, song that would totally clear the dance floor. Maybe some people might take a break at some point, but um, <laughs> probably one of the best soundtracks of all time. Uh, I got to give it a 14.9. 14.9. I don't, I, don't I don't know how much better you can get than this. I'll put it that way. All right, Nikki, what do you think out of 15 disco balls? I mean, the fact that this soundtrack spawned basically an entire generation of of new listeners and followers alone says quite a bit and like we said it's one of the highest selling soundtracks of all time there's some great songs on here there's some okay songs on here and there are some ridiculous <laughs> classical music disco mashup songs that i'm uh, curious to explore <laughs> i'm gonna have to give this an 11 Point two disco balls of fire. Okay, time for me to review. It's funny because if if somebody made a movie set in the seventies and they put together this soundtrack to score it, it would be really impressive. And the fact that this is all like contemporary music to the movie and a lot of it's original for the soundtrack is kind of mind blowing. This really was the Swingers soundtrack of the 1970s. No, uh, this is a great. <laughs> no, no. It's funny. It's bloated. I, you know, I have I have this record, and it's like a double record kind of. Uh, I would say a little bit needlessly. Like there is um, a lot of like weird, the weird classical cover stuff, and then um, too many versions of the songs that should just be sung by the Bee Gees. But I got to give this a 14.7. It's a great soundtrack. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, before we go, the last thing that we have to do is add a track to the track listing Spotify playlist, uh, our favorite Saturday song. If you guys don't mind, uh, I can go first. Kick it off. My song, it's from 1981. It's kind of of apropos to the soundtrack and that the, the song is called Jive Baby on a Saturday Night. Which is sounds like a combination of like three of these BG songs put together. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Uh, it's a the band was called the Jellies. They were I think they were British. I can't remember. They they were like an art school band who cut one single and then they printed up their own forty fives and tried to sell some and then gave up and forgot about it and they just kind of like were in somebody's garage and slowly got dispersed and i some people say somebody like 
found one of them and started passing it out. And then some people say that it was Thurston Moore rediscovered it, uh, lead singer from Sonic Youth. But it uh, recently got like re-released. Um, it's their only song they ever recorded. It sounds kind of like uh, ESG, but like cut and screwed, like a little bit of like slowed down uh, Texas style. But this is the uh, Jellies. With, chopped and screwed. Sorry. Chopped and screws. Uh, <laughs> chopped and screwed. This is the Jellies, Jive Baby on a Saturday <laughs> Night from 1981. We're doing okay, we're doing all right. Jack baby on a Saturday night. We're doing okay, we're doing all right. Jack baby on a Saturday night. Uh, if you find one of those singles in your parents' record collection, it's probably worth about $900. Oh, wow. Got for the jelly. All right, Nikki, what is your Saturday song? For my recommended Saturday song, I've got a song called Saturdays. And this is uh, Twin Shadow featuring Haim. Cool collaboration. That's uh, Twin Shadow, who is uh, George Lewis Jr., who uh, is, has a uh, penchant for nostalgic synth pop that I uh, that I enjoy, and the uh, three sisters that are uh, Haim. And this is a song that they collaborated on in 2018. Nice. And this track, Saturdays, appears on Twin Shadows' album, uh, Kair. And I was surprised to find that this was... Uh, his highest stream song on Spotify uh, this afternoon. Yeah, I mean, Heim's gotten so big that I think that that's a huge draw. Yeah. Yeah, nice collaboration. Uh, what do you got for us, Chris? Recommended uh, Saturday song. Great track, Nikki. Um, I've got Thanks, man. I've got a song called Get Down Saturday Night by Oliver Cheatham. It's uh, pretty in tune with what maybe some late disco, some metallic disco sounds. Uh, but let's let's hear a cut off of that and I'll talk about it. was a 1983 hit uh 
it um, it kind of got a, a late resurgence because uh, somebody remixed it in 2003, uh, DJ Room 5, or, or Italian DJ Room 5. Um, he sampled it on Make Love, but there's a there's a great scene in uh, the movie Ex Machina um, where uh, the, the robot dance scene is like, she doesn't talk, but she can dance. <laughs> and they <laughs> have a choreographed dance to this. And I don't know if that's when I first heard about this song. Um, it also appeared in uh, GTA Vice City, which, you know, those GTA um, soundtracks are great because they just have all the radio stations. But, um, man, this song's, a, this song's a jam. There's a very long yeah. extended version, which I'll put on the uh, uh, playlist. But um, definite dance jam that <laughs> I was laughing at the lyrics today because he really gets specific about, like, what happens on a Saturday and, like, why you should not be you know, partying on any other day, but Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember I haven't like, I got into this song, uh, I think a little bit before Ex Machina. And like, usually I feel like when a song that I like, it's uh, kind of blown up. I'm like a little bit bummed out, but uh, that was such a good scene in that movie. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, does, I'm, I'm remembering it right. He's kind of like, like Fridays you can go out, but you're so worn out from working all day. Yeah. You don't really want to stay out late. But <laughs> Saturday night, yeah, and it makes it makes me want to do like a parody song. It's like Monday is no good for partying, but uh, Saturday's the day that we all need to party. Sunday, there's the sense of impending doom for the work week, but Saturday's the best day. <laughs> just so you know, what I mean? like just really zero in on why Saturday's a good day to dance. Anyway. Like the music, the instrumental part of that track sounds exactly like that Daft Punk song, Something About Us. Yeah, I mean, you know. But it's it's not close enough to sound like an exact sample. But You're, you're telling me that there's a, the Daft Punk has made songs that sound like other songs? This is news to me. <laughs> of course, they've directly sampled other songs, but this is kind of an interesting one because it sounds... I thought that their whole thing was never directly sampling of just like yeah. kind of mimicking parts of but changing it. No, no. Their their thing is directly sampling stuff from like George Duke to uh, like old funk and soul records. But then denying it. They always denied it though. They've gotten away with murder. That's the thing is that you can't sue a robot for copyright infringement. <laughs> I'm going to say that the sound of that track is kind of like what Robin Thicke blurred lines is to uh, Marvin Gaye's got to give it up. Oh yeah, man. I, I meant to mention it's extremely Daft Punky. Uh, <laughs> for sure. I I gotta say it is definitely one of my favorite Saturday songs. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny that I think that I could probably recommend four or five more Saturday songs. There's so many Saturday songs <laughs> for your song about Saturdays. You could be like, people people keep saying that Thursday is a new Friday, but nobody is saying anything's a new Saturday. <laughs> yeah, Saturday will always be Saturday. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta get somebody that can actually sing to just really do like a Saturday ballad. <laughs> we have lost all listeners at this, this point. Three hours into the episode. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna play some outro music and let's thank some people. <laughs> thank you, the Bee Gees, for playing every single fucking song on the soundtrack. Thank you to John Travolta <laughs> until about '89. <laughs> <laughs> when Scientology kicked in and uh, going clear became a financial <laughs> reality. Uh, we'd like to thank Walter Murphy once again, David Shire, Ralph McDonald, Cool and the Gang, Donna Pesco, Fran Drescher, everybody. 
The Tramps, you guys are the best. We hope everyone is staying safe, staying clean, staying healthy. Stay tuned. We'll see you next week. <laughs>